Right, we'll look at, for the fifth and final time at Luke chapter 2, and we'll consider verses 12 to 20. Luke chapter 2 and verses 12 to 20. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There was a couple who came to uh, Aberystwyth to study librarianship. They came from South Africa. It was a long flight, and when they got to London Airport, they hired a car. Then they had to uh, negotiate then, driving out on the wrong side of the road from um, London all the way up in a a different uh, country. And uh, they went on with their children in the back seat, driving through England and then driving through the uh, winding country roads of Wales, westward, going westward. And they finally reached Bilth Wells. It was such an interminable journey. They'd left almost 24 hours ago, South Africa. And they drove out of Bilth and they went past the Royal Welsh Agricultural Showgrounds. And they saw a sign that lifted up their spirits. It said, Aberystwyth, with 39 miles. They were on the right road. In just over an hour, they would reach their long-expected destination. Now, the messengers from God gave the shepherds the sign. It's not actually a sign, it's the sign, which would confirm the truth of what they had heard from the angels. That uh, at this moment, just a mile or so away, down the hill, they were on the hillside and down in the uh, valley beneath Jehovah Jesus had been born. Why was there need of a sign? An angel in, in all his glory had, uh, uh, had appeared. He'd been a second earlier in the presence of God and he came bearing all the insignia and the breath and atmosphere of God with him and he appeared on the hillside to them. What a sign that was. And soon there was with the angel a multitude of, uh, of God. And these tough shepherds were terrified. Who needs another sign then if uh, a holy angel has been talking to you and then a multitude of angels had surrounded them and every field and pathway was crowded with with angels and they were singing together in marvelous harmony the voice that every Christian here will one day also hear the sound of a multitude of angels 
praising God. Glory to God in the highest. And yet the angel says there's going to be another sign. A sign that was not the sign of an angel. Well, it must be something terrific. If it vindicated the message of angels, it must be tremendous. And then they were told what the sign was. It was a baby. A newborn baby uh, wrapped up and lying in a feed trough. And that was it. The little boy lying in such a strange place, this strange crib. And that's how they'd recognize him. That was the sign that would uh, confirm the truth of what the angels had said to them. You'd think that no confirmation was needed, particularly this confirmation. And so here you have in uh, this part of Luke, this strange juxtaposition, these two things that are very close to one another, that are very different. Angels, seraphim, glorious, majestic, awe-inspiring. When John saw an angel, he wanted to fall at his feet and worship him. And the angel said, don't worship me, you only worship God. And then the very opposite, the very antithesis of such glory and power, uh, a baby, a little baby, uh, wrapped up, and you can just see his face, and he's lying asleep in a feed bin. Now, feed troughs cost, um, in Ellis's, 15 pounds and 44 pence. And they're made of sturdy plastic, but you can also get them um, on the web, in concrete, or in metal. And uh, Jesus was lying in one that a farmer had made, and it was made of wood. And that was the sign. It was certainly distinguishing and identifying. There was probably no other baby in all the world that, that night was uh, lying in a, in a feed trough. Um, the babies, they would be wrapped around and they would be on their, on their mother's breasts, wouldn't they? But here is the incarnate creator, not uh, wrapped in silks and lying in a jewel-crusted crib, but in this manger. And it was a statement of, of how God was going to deal with a groaning, fallen, rebellious world. That he wasn't going to do it by bolts of lightning and pouring out vials of his wrath on the bodies. But by incarnate weakness, by the sort of colds and coughs and consciousness of our failure and our guilt in these um, past year and how we've been poor servants of his but uh, we must come and we must speak to people who ask us why we went to church on Sunday night after Christmas and we stumble out and uh, we stutter a, a response to people and the gospel in that way comes through weakness and fear and much trembling to men and women now the shepherds didn't understand the implications of this sign the baby confirming the truth of what messengers from God by their tens of thousands had sung about and spoken to them. Sometimes we don't know the meaning of a sign, do we? Uh, uh, my computer, for a long time, there was a sign 
to save the work that I had done. And it was, uh, it seemed to me, it was the sign of a television set. So, well, that's very strange. I wonder did they, why they chose the sign of a television set for save. But it worked, and I pressed it, and it saved the work I did, and so on. And then later, of course, I discovered that it wasn't a, a television set, that that save sign is a, a sign of a, the old floppy disks. And that's what it's there for. But they did the work. So uh, I could understand it was an important sign, and I was glad of the sign, though I didn't understand exactly what the sign was. It was like that with the, with the angels. It was not until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was not until um, Pentecost and the Spirit of God coming upon these men. It wasn't until uh, the fi- they were amongst the, the 500 people who uh, met with Jesus in Galilee uh, and he walked among them and talked to them and uh, it was then and then they understood. They understood what they hadn't understood for the 33 years that had gone by. God chooses foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And we're so glad because we are foolish often and generally weak. We're not... Uh, Men and women of dynamic personalities who, who have a charisma and we call hundreds of people to hang on our words. We're, we're not like that at all. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that no one may boast before him. Our God is the God of Gideon's 300 strips away. How are they drinking? Are they drinking like this? Or are they burying their uh, faces in the water? Get rid of them. I just want, uh, j- just want the few that cup the water and drink it. I don't want thousands. I don't need thousands to do my work. God uses Elijah, one man, to face hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal. That's our God. He's the God who says, well, you can plant and you can water And I'll give the increase. That is our God. So the scripture says our God was, uh, our Lord was crucified in weakness. But he lives by the power of God. All of omnipotence has exalted Jesus Christ. Raised him and seated him at the right hand. And given him all authority over heaven and earth. And he has all authority then to touch your children's lives and your husbands and your cousins and your friends and to change them. He can do that. That's why praying to him is not a vain exercise because uh, he's a God who answers our prayers. Well, we would not do things the way God does things. We would have sandpapered and cleaned and scrubbed that uh, feeding trough and we would have padded it with uh, with woolen pieces of wool from a sheep's back and we'd have made it such a delightful place of rest for the baby Jesus but God chose 
just a rough feeding trough as the first place for his son. It's a pathetic symbol of, of weakness and ordinariness. But in God's eyes, then, it, is, it, it's, it speaks of determination and the strength of God being made perfect in what we, we bring him, what we as a congregation uh, will bring to God in our families and, uh, and in our lives in the, in the, in the next year. So, uh, God is stamping upon the world then um, how God will work and what amazing things God will do through um, ordinary means and sometimes without any means at all. And the whole history of the church uh, speaks of that. Uh, the redemption of the world is not going to be accomplished by then um, the tactics of ISIS or the tactics of Hitler uh, and uh, the enormous cruel pressures that the, the, the world says, not by human might and power, but by uh, people who are poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, people who are pure in heart, people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, People who are peacemakers. And God will bless and bless those people. Blessed are those people. And God will use them to bring his message and conquer the world in this way. So if you think uh, it's a strange uh, uh, and smelly place to find the incarnate God. What are you going to think when I say... Look at him here, 33 years later. Look at him, crucified, nailed to a cross, sucking in breath, taunted and mocked, bleeding and dying in, in darkness. No loving father there. No loving mother uh, watching over him at all. Just a mob of chanting men and soldiers gambling and the sky dark. If you want to see the living God, you must not only look at the cradle, but you must look at the cross. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified. This baby is going to Golgotha, dying to save us all, we're told. So there's a, a sign of suffering, and that's what you are presented with now. H hurry up, hurry up now. Come on, pay attention now. Um, the gospel centers on a cradle and a cross and a crown. But the crown is a, obtained via the cradle and via the cross. And uh, on the one who is wearing the crown is a lamb. Uh, and the lamb is one who has been slain. And that is how redemption comes. So, um, the, these familiar scenes I have presented to you then in these uh, last days in Luke 2 about the coming of Jesus into the world. And I want to end this series by just asking you, um, what is the response then? What was the response of these people 
to the message of the angels and the sight of the Lord Jesus. You, you have to respond. There's no alternative to responding. If you are supremely indifferent, well, that is a response. You, you can't avoid making a response. How did these people respond then to the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, in this place and in this way? Well, firstly, the shepherds responded to the message by hurrying off to see the little Lord Jesus. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They didn't hang around. There was a new dynamism in their lives. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened. You can hear them saying to one another, yes, let's go. So they hurried off. God would take care of the sheep if the shepherds do the will of God. So they'd seen the messenger, they'd heard the word, and they obeyed immediately. That is conversion. That is grace in the life of a man or woman. They went to be with the little Lord Jesus. They were drawn to him. Roman soldiers wouldn't have kept them away. Where Christ was, there they wanted to be. They heard the message and immediately they desired to come near to the Lord and see him. They weren't told they were unworthy of such a a privilege. There's that uh, private eye cartoon of a, a bank manager And he's saying across the desk to uh, an inquirer, yes, I am prepared to give you an overdraft, but first I would like a little more groveling, please. There was no groveling in Bethlehem. Hurry to the stable. You are welcome to the stable. The stable door is empty, and there you may go into the presence of the little Lord Jesus. So, Uh, those men on the day of Pentecost who had crucified and chanted and shown their hatred of Jesus. Uh, Immediately they heard the message, they were baptized and they uh, attached themselves to the apostles, to their teaching and uh, their fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers and hundreds of them were baptized immediately. Think of Saul of Tarsus. He was converted on the, on the road to Damascus, and we're told Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It was a new life in fellowship with God, in the service of God. At once, this is what grace does. This is real conversion. A student stayed on in Aberystwyth one summer. And uh, um, he had some acquaintance in Tanagraig. And they said, was one of the flats empty in Tanagraig? And I said, yes, they were. And so he lived in Tanagraig. And the student who had told him and arranged this, inviting him to church. Here he came on a Sunday morning. He heard... The gospel message that morning 
and he was converted. That, that morning, he became a Christian. Monday morning, he went to the bookshop, and he bought his own Bible. And he came every service then through that summer. Now, I had forgotten about him uh, until a few years ago when my, my daughter Fleer and her husband and, and the children here, Glyn, they went on holiday to Kent. And they met him. In church, they have a good friend and uh, his wife, they are friends that, that go to the same church as this, this man went to. And he told them. He reminded them of what had happened. When he had been a student and he had heard the gospel and immediately you hear the gospel, you have an obligation to respond. What is your response to the gospel? And his response was to do what Jesus says. Come to me and I will give you rest. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you know you need a savior, you must go to him. The second response then was that these shepherds proclaimed the message to everyone they met. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. So, um, it, you see, it starts this with a personal word directed to shepherds. The, the messenger spoke to them. I bring to you good tidings of great joy. So, um, here's a man of God and he brings you the message of Jesus Christ. And you, you come here and you sit there and the, the pulpit is elevated so you can see over the heads of the people uh, in front of you, and there's a microphone here, and there are loudspeakers, and you can hear the message that God has brought to us in Scripture. And uh, it's a message in which we have uh, good news for every one of you. We have a Savior who is with us, and he tells you that he is absolutely prepared to become your Lord and Savior, your teacher, your protector, your companion, your friend, your brother, forever and ever. He'll never leave you. And when you face then the great challenges of life and illness or marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, the last years of your life, he'll be there. He guarantees he will be with you. He is that sort of saviour. That's the good news of the message of the gospel. It's great joy to all people because it's such a wonderful message. So then now we start to move to all people. Ah, so there are others who will hear that message, who weren't on the hillside, who didn't hear the voice of the angels, and only hear because of the testimony of those who were his eyewitnesses. And so uh, you and I are authorized by God to share this message with the people who are around us. The shepherds were gripped by what had happened to them. And then they told everyone whom they met 
They couldn't stop it. They never um, had a course after the angels had met with them how to share this message. It was so overwhelming, real, real. It was the most fantastic perforation of their mundane lives that they had ever had. Um, and uh, if you ask them, uh, why are you talking about this baby and these angels as you did? Well, we can't help. Like Peter said, we can't help speaking the things that we have seen and heard. Um, it's like that message with all of Christianity. We deserve eternal death because we are sinners, but God loved us. And he pardoned our sins, and he brought us into a fellowship with people, people in our families, and others who uh, prayed for us and spoke to us and led us to know this Savior for ourselves. Thirdly, we are told then that all who heard the message responded with amazement. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Um, he doesn't say shepherd, he says shepherds. So say there was a dozen shepherds on the hillside there. Uh, and they were well known in, in Bethlehem. They were local characters, personalities, known in the market, known by the butchers. Their families were known. And uh, this day you met them and they can't wait to tell you what's happened to them. An angel has appeared to them in the fields the previous night and told them that the Messiah had been born and that they had seen millions of angels surrounding that one, that one angel. And then they'd gone. All of them went. They, we just left the sheep. And we'd gone down to, say, Bathgate Street, you know, there's a little stable there that's attached to the, uh, the bed and breakfast. And, and we'd seen the little boy, and he was lying there, just like the angel said. He was wrapped up. His mother had brought some cloths with her, and he was there, lying in the manger. It was incredible. A man told you that story. Well, had he been drinking? There's no smell of alcohol on him at all. Uh, is he pulling your leg? No, no. He's horrified that you should say that. I saw it with my eyes. So, uh, you are puzzled at this story, and you go down, and you uh, go up another street, and there's another shepherd, and he's talking to a group of men, and he is just as serious and earnest in telling them exactly the story that your old friend has just been telling you. And then you call in the local tavern, and they're all listening to Isaac, the son of Nehemiah, and he's telling them the, the same tale, and he's telling them now, with deep earnestness of what happened to him and the other shepherds that night. And then on your way home you meet two other shepherds and they're talking on the street corner in the moonlight and uh, they give you a few more details. And then you meet uh, uh, Judah, uh, the last man you would think would be singing a psalm. The least religious man you've ever known and he's been transformed. And you go home and you tell your wife, she's heard it. She says the town is buzzing with the news. 
people have become so curious, they've gone down Benjamin Street and they've gone to that, um, uh, that cave, that um, stable, but they've gone. The, the, the family, the mother and the father and the baby have gone on their way. What do you make of it? You say to your wife and, and she says to you, I don't know. I don't know. It's amazing, she says. It is amazing. Now, these are shepherds. These are shepherds. They, they're not smart people. They're not clever people. They're not conspirators. What did they have to gain from a story like this? It's, it's so out of character with them. It's ridiculous. It makes them so religious before their friends. An archangel, and then thousands of angels, and then they hear this singing, and they, they go down, and they find the baby j- just as the angel has said. It is uninventable. A, a dozen shepherds, 100% sincere and earnest, changed men. It's amazing. A, a woman uh, called me, you remember this incident a few years ago, and uh, and she lives in uh, in, Bo- in in Borf, and she'd seen a ghost. You remember? And I went, and Nigel came with me, and we went and we talked to this woman um, about this ghost that she had seen. She has a daughter living with her. The daughter hadn't seen the ghost. She said the cat could see it. The cat was always looking at the place by the fridge where the ghost appears. I was unimpressed and uninfluenced by it. I thought it was here in her mind that the ghost was. I, I didn't believe it. It was, it was just the, the words of, of one person. I asked her, did she read books about the occult? Did she get a magazine about the occult? And she did. If two people tell you they'd seen something, and they're serious about telling you of what they had seen. And they weren't given to sensationalism. You'd be curious if a dozen people, people you know, members of your family, sober people from Aberystwyth that you've known, and they, they just tell you casually, but insistently, that they have seen something really amazing. And that they continue for the rest of their lives to do that. You would be challenged, wouldn't you? Something has happened, hasn't it? Remember how Luke begins his gospel? Uh, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke Luke went to eyewitnesses. He went with a a piece of paper and uh, his quill or some papyrus and then he wrote down what Mary and, and Simeon and the other people and he made notes. Eyewitnesses. Luke went to an old man who when he was a boy he had been the shepherd boy and when Luke came and he said I want to ask you 
about um, what happened on the mountain when the angels came. Oh, his face glowed. Let me tell you, he said. And he told you the exact words of the angel and how it had affected him for the rest of his life. I remember it like yesterday, he would say. Peter writes in his second letter, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When one person tells you that uh, she's become a Christian and uh, she's a follower of Jesus Christ, you're mildly interested. You think nice for her. And then God in his providence brings into the office another person and that person is a Christian too and and he tells you he's a, a believer. You are more challenged now, aren't you, to think about it. They tell you that Jesus Christ is their God and he's been so good to you and he's blessed you in so many ways And that uh, this is the God who made the world and he's the judge of the world and we must all appear before this God because it's a moral universe we live in and uh, what you sow you're also going to reap. What do you think about that? Are these uh, far-fetched stories? Are they deluded? Are they weaklings looking for some crutch? In life. Well, they don't look like weaklings. To you, you wish you had some of the strength and uh, the humor and the convictions that they had. Are they holy fools? Deluded and harmless but mildly fanatical. Do they, do they strike you? As being like that. And you say, well, not at all. They're the most sane and sweet and ordinary and good people that I could possibly wish to meet. Have they seen something of uh, the nature of what life is all about? Of who God is? And how you can know him and grow in your knowledge of him and and find help from him and find the problem of your guilt and uh, your need of forgiveness to be resolved by this one who gives us rest and mercy. Here are eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and they speak to us and uh, we think about, oh, we think, please think about these things like the people who met a dozen shepherds who from that time onwards hung out together and worshipped God together whose lives were changed because they had a, a real encounter with the living God and his servants fourthly there's Mary Mary's response And she carefully considered everything that she had seen and heard. Verse 19, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Well, you know, what do you treasure? 
What do you keep in your heart that's so terrific? Is it some sort of the latest uh, Star Wars? Is it uh, the result of uh, Swansea and, and, and Cardiff and Manu, Arsenal? What are you living for? What do you treasure in your heart and, and ponder? This is a fascinating world that we live in. There's concern to make money and be entertained and relationships. Here is the living God. There's nothing as important as him. Did he make the world in the beginning or was it just a big bang? And out of the lump that was there in the beginning came the Taj Mahal and Mozart's 41st Symphony and Rembrandt and Shakespeare and uh, the English language and the Welsh language and antibiotics and nuclear energy and Jesus Christ. It was in the lump that just grew. A lucky bang. Is that your faith? Or is there order and meaning and wisdom and a wonderful moral structure and a God who makes known to us himself day by day and speaks to us and God has his people who help the structure and glue our lives together in affection for for one another. A God who has sent his son to deliver us from the mess that men and women have made of the world in which they live. Well, what are you going to keep in your heart? When you've got nothing else to think about now. At the end of a day. Surely you, you need to think. You get a letter from a solicitor in Aberystwyth. He's been instructed by a solicitor in Arkansas to uh, find you and to tell you that a long-lost cousin in Arkansas who owns an oil well has died and he has left you the oil well. And you are now the owner of an oil well in Arkansas. Is that, is that going to make you think? Oh, yes, it will make you think. Oh, my. Is, is it burping out the oil day after day, week after week? How much money will I get from this? You'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think. I'm asking you to think about this message. Is eternal life real? Is it a gift of God? Does it come purchased for us by what Jesus did, not by anything that we've done? And it's, it's his gift that he was crucified in weakness, that we in our weakness might become strong by strength he gives. You have to consider it. Please consider it like Mary treasured up these things in her heart. In Jesus Christ there is more treasure than all the oil in Saudi Arabia's oil fields. All the gold of South Africa can't compare the treasure that is in Jesus Christ. The great questions, why am I here? What is life all about? What is the purpose of life? What is the good life? What happens at death? 
How can I know God? Who is Jesus Christ? What's the message of the Bible? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And there are answers to these questions here in Scripture and here particularly in the life of Jesus Christ. And if uh, a letter came through the post with very vellum paper and beautifully written and he told you that you would now come to own an oil field in Arkansas. Well, my friends, you would pay a lot of attention to that and I'm saying, it's nothing compared to this message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mary treasured these things in her heart. And later on when Luke came and uh, he saw the old lady and he said, oh, I'd like to spend a day or two with you and just to take all your memories down of what happened when you were a little girl, a teenage girl, and you found yourself pregnant and the angel appeared to you and Joseph's response, and he wrote it all down. And that's why we believe it. Because it's true, isn't it? And lastly, the shepherds responded to the message by glorifying and praising God. They returned, we are told, in verse 20. They returned to their sheep. They continued to be shepherds. They didn't give up everything and go around the the country and tell people about the angels. They didn't build a shrine on the mountain and uh, make money out of the story. They didn't claim every week that they had uh, visions of angels that only they could see. They didn't offer knickknacks for sale and open uh, shops. They didn't start a shepherd's cult or an angel's cult. They returned, we are told. They were shepherds. And they glorified God as shepherds for the rest of their lives. But no, they were different shepherds. They were born again shepherds. They were shepherds who had met with God. They were shepherds who had heard the message from God and believed it. And had gone and seen Jesus. And they'd become believers. The message had transformed them from a group of cynical men that just talked about the Roman army and and sex and making money and all those things that unregenerate men think are so important there. And people who talked about God. I know God. I know God. I know God. Isn't it wonderful that you know God? And there are thousands who live around us. They don't know God. What a great God he is. And uh, these these shepherds glorified and praised God. You know, like the slate quarrymen of Blanyavis Sinyaka a hundred years ago in their cabins discussing the sermon of the previous day and earnestly talking about God. Like the, the colliers of South Wales or the miners of the Neshi, uh, the, the uh, steel workers of, and, uh, and other workers of the Tlechley area and the, um, the farmers of mid Wales who'd go to wash their hands and go off to the prayer meeting and, and sing and praise God and this, this great world instead of the narrowness of the material world they glorified and praised God for his message. 
I was reading an interview with the Scottish uh, pop diva, Annie Lennox. She used to sing with the Eurythmics, Annie Lennox. She has no God. She says it. She has no faith. No understanding of why the world is in the state that it's in. No awareness that there is redemption, that there is new life. But she's a singer. What does she have to sing about? She has a new album out and it's called Songs of Mass Destruction. (laughs) It's full of longing for something that the world has lost and a desperate need to find meaning in the harsh, punishing life. It's full of vinegar. She says, this planet is absolutely off its head. It's insane. It's Hieronymus. Bosh, out there. Half the people are drinking or drugging themselves to numb it. A lot of people are in pain. That's what her views are. And she's a singer. What have you got to sing about? What do you have? You're going to join in the song of the angels and sing glory to God in the highest. What have you got to sing about? You come with us now. Come to the cradle. Stand around it. Come to the temple where he's presented and Simeon and Anna speak and foretell of his future. Come and stand with me on, on, the, on the mount and hear the sermon that he preached. Come with me and uh, see a woman weeping at his feet. Come with me and uh, listen to him as he tells the parable of the prodigal son. You come with me. You come with me to this life of Jesus. You come and sit in the upper room with me and... Uh, Before he breaks bread, he preaches to them and he tells them about the Holy Spirit who's going to come. You come, you come with me. And when he's arrested, how they all ran away and left him. And they hit him and they whipped him. And he didn't open his mouth. And they crucified him and he prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they... You come with me and see these things now that happened in this world. You come with me and they... They laid him in a, in a tomb. But on the third day, the stone was rolled away and he came. Jesus came. And there he was, speaking to Mary, Rabboni. And there he was, talking to Peter and recommissioning him. and Talking to uh, Cleopas and his companion on the, on the road. To Emmaus. Jesus, come with me and see these things and see him ascend to heaven, lift up his hands in blessing on us. You you come with me, you come with me and meet Jesus day by day. One day we're going to see him again, our eyes will see him. A far more wonderful sight, all his holy angels with him. He's going to come, our Jesus, the angels that announced his first coming are going to be with him at his second coming. All of us in him will be ready. All of us who are joined to him will be washed and sanctified and justified. We'll be ready. When he comes again, we'll be ready. And a new heavens and a new earth then. All the contamination and the warp of sin will be removed from this groaning world. And there'll be no more death and no more suffering We'll be forever with the Lord. And we want you to be with us. We want you to come with us. You, you come with us. You come.
you please come. And stay away, you come. Lord, bless your word to us and help us to respond as the shepherds responded and as Mary responded and as those who heard the testimony of the shepherds were filled with wonder and awe. Fill us, Lord, with a a real concern to know you and to serve you and to be unashamed to speak of you all our days. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.